for the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them. We are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com slash safety, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Today on Not Sam Wrestling, did The Undertaker retire on Friday night? We got to talk about that Edge promo. The Great American Bash is coming up, and let's have a conversation about Charlotte. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Happy day, everybody. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. First week of July, if you can believe that. Hope it's a short one. Well, I mean, you know, if you're in America, celebrating Independence Day, maybe something. I don't know. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. I mean, I guess it's not technically July yet, but it will be. Trust me when I tell you, it's coming. Can't stop time. Time and taxes, my friend. Can't stop either one of them. Welcome to the show. So much to talk about this week. Um, Appreciate all the feedback that we got last week on the conversation about The Undertaker. And my assertion, not assumption, assertion, that the dead man did not retire. And that we will absolutely see the dead man back in the ring. And uh, that question came up a bunch this week specifically. And it came up, uh, I think, primarily because of SmackDown. Even in the uh, Not Sam Wrestling Discord room that is open exclusively to the Not Sam shills over at patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling. The question was raised on Friday after SmackDown. They said, now that we've seen SmackDown, now that we've gotten this tribute episode... Does this mean that The Undertaker is officially retired? My statement on the matter, absolutely not. It makes no difference in the world. Nothing has changed, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing, nothing has changed. We remain in the exact same spot that we started in, in my opinion, with The Undertaker. You would say, what about the tribute episode? The tribute episode to me uh, was for a few reasons. Number one, You put The Undertaker's name on something, people are going to watch. Number two, at the end of the day, it's a commercial for The Last Ride. You know, we could have had this celebration for The Undertaker after his Boneyard match if we wanted to. But, you know, it's a a commercial. Why are we having a, a, a farewell to The Undertaker? Well, because he retired. When did he say he retired? Oh, there's this great documentary on the WWE Network. I don't, I don't, uh, begrudge them for it, but that's what it is, I think. And uh, number three, it's an excuse to put that Boneyard match onto television. I mean, you got a piece of content that's as good as the Boneyard match was. You're going to get it on TV. It eats up, you know, 40 minutes of SmackDown that you don't have to worry about anymore. And boom, Bob's your uncle. You got yourself a SmackDown. So look, no, I don't believe that anything has changed. Um I think that the WWE uh, just executed on an opportunity and did so well. The whole world was talking about The Undertaker last week. Coming off of that last ride, the last ride was was clearly an effective documentary in the sense that it got people watching and it got people talking. Whole world was talking about whether The Undertaker was retiring or not, retiring or not last week. So yeah, it was the perfect time for the WWE to uh, have that Undertaker show on SmackDown. But I do not think that it was the Undertaker's way, I mean, Undertaker's way or WWE's way of telling us that he's gone. I don't think the Undertaker's done. I still don't think the Undertaker's done. And I did know, I I, I mean, I made a note of it on Twitter and I got a couple replies on it. And I, I noted that a lot of people noticed that, you know, they spent an awful lot of time having Baron Corbin besmirch the name of the dead man on SmackDown. An awful lot of time. Baron Corbin, by the way, on my list of 10 people that The Undertaker could easily have another match with. People wouldn't have thought Baron Corbin, but I kind of broke it down last week. 
And I stand by that. The same reason why I didn't have a huge problem with Baron Corbin being the one to retire Kurt Angle. I had a problem with Kurt Angle coming out on Raw the next night and giving him an angle slam. But I didn't have a problem with Kurt, uh, Baron Corbin being the one to retire Kurt Angle because Baron Corbin is a heel. And the idea that a heel would be the one to come in and spoil this thing, it's only going to give this guy more heat. It's going to make people boo him more because he's the guy that ended Kurt Angle's career. And if he hadn't gotten Angle slammed, it allows him the credibility of saying, I'm a bad guy who gets booed, but I win big matches. I go to WrestleMania and I retire legends. Uh, and I, that's why I think that Baron Corbin, I mean, he's a great heel. He would be a perfect fit for The Undertaker. When we're watching SmackDown, do I honestly think that what Baron Corbin was doing was something to set up an Undertaker-Baron Corbin match? No, no, I don't think that at all. I think that uh, if anything, if there was any conspiracy, if there was any anything that had anything to do with The Undertaker, it was maybe if Baron Corbin is talking smack, the Undertaker would get those uh, would get those butterflies in his belly again. That little voice in the back of his head saying, "You could do one more." And hang on, be with Baron Corbin, but you could do one more. I think that the Baron Corbin thing uh, ultimately was a device to tell the story that night. It was a device to bring us to the Jeff Hardy match. That's all. You know, I think it was it was just some backstory to put on the match with Jeff Hardy that would allow us as viewers to go like, okay, at the end of hour one, I saw this promo with Baron Corbin that, that infuriated me. That's going to keep me waiting, theoretically, all the way through hour two. Because if you're watching for The Undertaker in hour one, for the most part, The Undertaker tribute was done before the first hour was done. They, they front-loaded all that Undertaker stuff. And I think it was smart. I think they knew that there are a lot of people that are going to be tuning in to see The Undertaker. And, you know, questions about airing uh, already aired matches from pay-per-views on television shows during this uh, period of time uh, was happening a lot more when it was happening a lot more. In the beginning of this, WWE had kind of a formula, you know, before WrestleMania where they were doing a lot of promos, not many matches, and all the shows had at least one portion that was a match from a pay-per-view that they hadn't shown before. Remember, Raw did a, a full Royal Rumble. It ate up 90 minutes of their time. But as much as us hardcores are sitting there going, well, we've already seen this or we have the WWE Network and we could watch it, my Twitter blew up with people that are casual, not even casual fans, that are kind of aware of pro wrestling but are, are, are not big fans. And they were sitting there going like, what is this? I Is The Undertaker wrestling on like a farm? Is this a movie or a match? What is going on? The amount of people that I read online who didn't know what they were watching, who were like, this is not how I pictured professional wrestling, led me to believe that, number one, the power of TV still remains in terms of getting the potential for new eyes on your product. And number two, The Undertaker still draws people in. When you go through your TV guide, when you look at the commercials, and I don't mean the magazine TV guide, I mean, you know, when you're scrolling through, or however word gets to you that The Undertaker, that SmackDown has anything to do with The Undertaker, you got a lot of people tuning in that might not have tuned in before. So I thought it was smart that they front-loaded. And I thought that the Baron Corbin promo on The Undertaker uh, was really just a way of getting the people who tuned in to see The Undertaker keep watching. Getting the people that tuned in to see The Undertaker go like, well, now I don't like Baron Corbin. And then Jeff Hardy comes out and theoretically, if you remember The Undertaker, you might remember Jeff Hardy, so he's a pretty good choice. Um, and then we get there. Uh, I think if The Undertaker does end up coming back at any point, and if he does come back, you know, I mean, there are some people that say, well, Survivor Series will be 30 years. If The Undertaker comes back at Survivor Series, I don't think it'll be for a match. I think we might see a promo from The Undertaker at Survivor Series. I think we might see a run-in. Like, I, I I, believe that Baron Corbin will not get an Undertaker match. But I think there's a pretty good likelihood that Baron Corbin will get chokeslammed by The Undertaker. I think the, the role that Elias filled the night after WrestleMania 35, when The Undertaker just came out on that Monday, chokeslammed Elias, and left. I could see that happening to Baron Corbin. And that's the position that Baron Corbin finds himself in WWE right now anyway. You know, Baron Corbin... 
He doesn't really win matches anymore. So a lot of work would need to be done on that character before we could get him to the place where he could realistically have an Undertaker match. I think more realistically, uh, Baron Corbin gets chokeslammed by The Undertaker as the story starts to get told that The Undertaker will have one more match against my preference, AJ Styles, Finn Balor, or my number one choice, Adam Cole. And if you don't know why Adam Cole, go back to last week's episode and listen to my entire breakdown. Um, but I absolutely, that that that's what I'm thinking. I don't, I think The Undertaker will be back. I don't think the Baron Corbin match is actually going to happen, but I think there could be a run-in. I think, uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see him do something at Survivor Series because it is his 30th anniversary officially at that point in WWE. Um, but it may almost be similar to what Sting did in the sense that he appears at Survivor Series as a surprise and we don't actually see him in the ring until WrestleMania. Honestly, I think The Undertaker probably has one more left in him. And I think that this documentary gave us enough that we could make that one more a huge, huge deal. So uh, that's in, I, I think there's one more left in him. And I think that that one more left should be at WrestleMania only if by next March we're back in stadiums. If we're not back in stadiums next March, forget it. Forget it. Because you could do, theoretically, you could find ways to do boneyard type matches with The Undertaker for the next 20 years. The Undertaker could be 78 years old. And he could still do like a Firefly Funhouse type of match. Because you can. Undertaker didn't. The, you know, the Boneyard match was actually full of bumps. But you can do those theatrical matches never taking a bump. So that can happen. But I mean in the traditional sense, I think ring, audience, the whole deal. I think we have one more of those left. And I think that that comes at WrestleMania not at Survivor Series. I look for my own ego. I was happy that uh, Baron Corbin was was smack talking the Undertaker, and I wish I could tell you. See, I told you so. Scoops did it again. Hack wrestling journalist, the last professional broadcaster, Sam Scoops Roberts, let you know again what's happening. But this time, I don't think it's leading to a Baron Corbin match. I think it's leading to just a maybe a Baron Corbin choke slam. Um, but speaking of, of of legends, we should take a second to talk about Edge's promo on Raw. Uh, I thought, I, I think Raw and SmackDown both. You know, I love that on SmackDown, they did this promo with Baron Corbin. And then for the next hour, leading to the Jeff Hardy match, they told a story that kept you hooked. You know, to me, what made the Attitude Era so good was not the edgy content. It was the way stories were told. It was you felt like you were watching a storyline-driven television show. It didn't, it, it almost let everybody know, look, we all are in this together, right? What, to me, when you take pro wrestling and you take a very sports-centric apo- uh, approach with it and you follow the, the, the lead of MMA and you put a concentration on the matches and the rankings and the scoring and it 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 insults the intelligence of wrestling fans. It goes back to this era where unless you're judging on like actual criteria that is not just scripted competition, like if you're judging on wins and losses, yes, wins and losses are important to tell the stories. But to make it seem like the stories aren't the most important thing, is ridiculous because we all know what we're watching with wrestling. When we take a sports-centric approach to it, it's almost like we're going back to the days where we all thought that wrestling was being presented as a legitimate sporting competition, which it is not and hasn't been for 40 years almost at this point. So I I think that that the storyline approach is much better. Um, And I think that we feel that when we're watching the shows. I think... Watching SmackDown, the pace was good. A faster paced, quick matches on TV, set up a story coming right after the Undertaker thing. So it's not even like, you know, there was a time not too long ago where this Undertaker thing could have just lived on an island and then you do a couple SmackDown matches and that's your show. Instead, they intertwine this Undertaker tribute into a story with Baron Corbin 
Jeff Hardy defends him. We now are invested in Jeff Hardy and Baron Corbin. That story gets told over the course of the next 45 minutes or so. And we end on that match. And then at the end of the show, Jeff Hardy and the good guys are paying tribute to The Undertaker. And we've come full circle. And we feel like we've been part of a complete episode of television. And I loved it. I loved it. And I loved that that Raw is doing a lot more faster paced stuff. I love that there's more promos. There's it's a far more storyline driven than either SmackDown or Raw has been. NXT the same thing. NXT NXT if anything needs more storyline. NXT's my favorite show on television. But I think we need to chalk it full of storyline and we're getting there. We're starting. We're definitely starting. Um I thought one of the best segments on Raw was that Edge promo. Edge in his ring and explaining what happened to him, explaining the match with Randy Orton, not making any excuses, by the way, talking about the low blow and being legitimate about it, saying he's not even mad about that. He should have seen it coming, which is true. You know, if you're if you're talking about this story and you're like, this character didn't realize that the Randy Orton character was going to low blow him, I would say, well, that character is a fool then. That character should have been well aware that that was a possibility because we're talking about Randy Orton. He's a viper. He's a snake. But instead, Edge focused on what he was mad at, which is Randy Orton humiliating and possibly re-injuring his best friend from childhood, Jay Christian. And I loved the promo because it it, it we're now getting to a place with Edge where we're seeing some significant character work and where we're seeing some, like, brutality. Where we're now stepping away from how amazing is it that Edge is back? We're now actually getting into who Edge is in 2020. For the last six months, the story has been, this is amazing. After nine years, Edge is back. This is incredible. How great is it that Edge is back? Edge's promos, for the most part, were, I'm really happy to be back. Even the story between Randy and Edge, even when you got his wife and kids involved, ultimately the story was that Randy was pointing out that Edge should not be back. So the whole story of Edge was Edge is back. That promo ushered us into the next act. That's why I thought it was good. That promo ushered us into the idea that this is who Edge is now. That Edge, we're not, we're not, you know, marveling at the fact that Edge is back anymore. We're just learning about Edge in 2020. We're learning about Edge. Edge's motivation is no longer, hey, I'm back now. How great is that? Edge's motivation is now, I want revenge for my best friend Christian. Oh, and by the way, what we've been celebrating is the Edge that went to WrestleMania six as a fan. We've been celebrating Adam Copeland who grew up a wrestling fan, achieved great fame in WWE, uh, and then had to leave too early. We've basically been celebrating the edge that we met at the Hall of Fame ceremony. And what we haven't been acknowledging is the incredible heel that Edge was when he was the rated R superstar. To me, John Cena's best uh, rival Maybe not best match, best rival in terms of story. Um, And just being ruthless, being the ultimate opportunist, being the guy who would put winning ahead of everything. And Edge started kind of morphing into that and becoming the guy who now wants to ruin Randy Orton's life. Like, it's not enough to prove to Randy that he should be back. He's not looking just for revenge. He wants to end Randy Orton. He doesn't want to win a match. He wants to destroy this man. And now we're like, okay, I love it. And it feels like without us even knowing whether it's true or not, that there is a three-act play going on in this Randy Orton Edge saga. I think, you know, most of us didn't know exactly where it was going, but, but everybody liked the story of Randy Orton and Edge going into that WrestleMania match. But I don't think anybody was like, okay, I want another Randy Orton Edge match. Most people that I talked to have been waiting for Edge to have these dream matches, have been waiting for an Edge match with The Fiend. I talked about it, you know, going into Backlash, how I wanted to see The Fiend pop up and start something with Edge. 
Um, Seth Rollins versus Edge, Roman Reigns versus Edge, AJ Styles versus Edge. These are the matches that people are talking about. So just the idea on paper of Edge is going to have three matches over the course of his first year back in WWE, and they're all going to be with Randy Orton. I guess four if you count the Royal Rumble, but realistically three. If you just put that on a piece of paper, you'd go, really? But when you feel the way it's been played out and you pay attention to the stories, I'm into it. I'm waiting for another Edge versus Randy Orton match now because of that promo. Edge came out and said uh, that that was his attempt of being Harvey Dent, which I get, you know, that, that, that Edge has been the mayor of wrestling the way Harvey Dent was the mayor of Gotham. And what we haven't realized is Two-Face, that second burned-off face that wants revenge, is the Raider our superstar that's been there the whole time. It's just we've been only having the camera on one side of his face. Now, I didn't get that necessarily watching the promo, but I do think that through Edge's actions, we can get there. And I think that that promo led, laid this great foundation. And we're going to be able to see the guy that ruined Matt Hardy's life. We're going to be able to see the guy that wanted to ruin Mick Foley's life. You know, that guy, that WrestleMania 22, Edge and Lita, rated our superstar era Edge. The guy that wanted to ruin the people that he was with. The idea that that guy is coming back, I'm all about it. I love it. And I think that we will start to, I, I don't even want to call it a duality. You know, because I think that there are just multiple layers to Edge. I think that there's more than duality makes it seem like there's two layers to this guy. But I think we're going to see a lot more than two. I think over time, depending on how long Edge is going to stick around for, I think we're going to see more. But it, it, it feels like when you watch that Edge is almost on an island creatively. Edge, it feels like, is back to tell stories in just a completely different way. You know, I think that 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 Edge and Edge has this great pop culture reference. You know, I think that Edge has been out of wrestling for nine years and that kind of helps. So Edge sees how not only wrestling is done because he grew up with wrestling, but how entertainment in general is done, how movies are done, how TV is done. And I think that Edge wants to play these stories that he's involved with out in a way that that are these classic stories. To me, the Edge-Randy Orton thing right now, especially after how good the greatest match ever turned out, I mean, I, I feel like I haven't felt this way about a long-form rivalry since Gargano-Champa. I feel like Gargano-Champa was a movie in NXT. The, the, the breakup of DIY into that year of takeover matches where they had three takeover matches. Um, to me, that was a film. That was one of the greatest rivalries in WWE history, and I don't think it'll get the credit because it's NXT, but that defined that period of time in NXT. And I think that Edge Randy can do the same thing. I mean, when you look at it, the Edge Randy promos going into WrestleMania were the best things on TV. The... Edge Orton greatest match ever. As much as people like me poo-pooed it, it's on the list of the best matches of this no fans in the arena era. And if we can learn anything, I mean, to me, the Edge Christian story that was played out over Raw two weeks ago, I thought was one of the best things on Raw. And then to see Edge have that promo, Orton and Flair back, like there's, there's meat on this bone. There's meat on this bone, and there doesn't have to be. The WWE could have gone lazy. WWE could have been, well, you remember Edge and Randy Orton were a tag team. Well, now they're going to have a match because they still don't like each other. And, well, Edge won that one, so Randy wants revenge. Well, Randy won that one, now Edge wants revenge. But that's not what they're doing. Instead, they're telling a full, f fl fully flushed-out story. And I think it's something that a lot of people should take notes on. I think it's something that 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 more of the product should look like because I think it's really, really good. I think it's pretty spectacular. Um, also on Raw, we had a uh, uh, Street Raiders, uh, or Street Ra I guess the Street Raiders, the Viking Prophets, Viking Raiders Street Prophets uh, blow-off. 
Um, which I guess some people were surprised that after weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, um, it was as quick as it was. But it almost felt like WWE was just done with it, you know? And I haven't really been into it until the Viking Raiders and the Street Profits got together. I think that there's something entertaining about the four of those guys hanging out together. But, I mean, them competing in sports against each other was not my was not my cup of tea. So, I don't mind that uh, being where it is, you know. I don't, I don't, I don't mind. I don't mind that being done because I think both teams can do better. They've been kind of locked into this thing. I think, I think there are there is more out there for both of those teams than just to be, you know, locked into doing goofy skits and stuff all the time. One question that has come up, I think uh, I think WWE Front Row, one of our Not Sam Shills, brought it up, and it, and it made me think, brought it up in the uh, Patreon Discord room. He said, okay, Sam, so we're watching Randy Orton on Raw, right? He punts Christian, smacks talk, smack talks the big show, you know, does all this with the big show. Besides Christian and the Big Show, who? What legends are left to kill? Who should Randy target next? And you're going, well, I mean, he could hit Ric Flair with a low blow, right? I mean, maybe they could do a thing where Mark Henry shows up on Raw to promote the Steve Austin interview, which, by the way, fantastic interview with Mark Henry on the WWE Network. Uh, and nice little plug for. Busted open in Dave LaGreca by uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. But um, I think that that you could have re- uh, uh, Mark Henry come out on Raw and just, you know, hey, check out my interview with Steve Austin. And then, you know, Randy Orton comes and spoils the fun, which could be interesting. You know, why not? I think it, I think it get people talking, have something fun for Mark Henry to do and, and get people to go watch the interview with Steve Austin. So I wouldn't be against that if they did that tonight. But... Um, I think that that what needs to happen is that we need to redefine legend killer. I think that Randy Orton is at a period of his career right now where he is a legend. Theoretically, somebody else should come along and say that they're a legend killer and be destroying Randy Orton. There's nobody over Randy Orton. Everybody is under the guy. So, you know, there's not that much road for Randy to walk on if this is the road we're going to take. I think that we need to reverse course. I think that Randy should take his legend killer character, bring it into 2020, and while Edge is gone, I think that Randy should start killing potential legends. I think Randy should start going and destroying people who want to be legends. I think that Randy should take that same mentality of I'm going to destroy your family, Edge, because I don't want you to do this to yourself. And I think he should do it to younger people. You know, I, I think that, that that maybe he can talk about, you know, do you know how many injuries I've suffered through? Do you know what my family's gone through because of this? And you're not half as good as I was. You're not going to make it in this business. You're going to lose everything because of it. I've got to stop you. And I think the place for Randy Orton to do this while we're waiting for Edge to recover from his tricep surgery, I think the place for Randy Orton to do this is NXT. I would love to see, and we've already seen the the, the seedlings laid. We already saw the uh, the Randy Orton leg slap tweets at uh, and Tommaso Ciampa coming back and talking about, you know, his daughter sleeping through Orton matches. Orton leg slapped during that greatest match ever, and it was a clear shot. I think that if Edge is not going to be on TV for a while, I think Randy Orton goes to NXT, and Randy Orton tries to kill the up-and-comers. I think Randy Orton should go to NXT and try to kill Tommaso Ciampa. I think Randy Orton should go to NXT try to figure out who's going to get signed next and kill them. And I think that Randy Orton should maybe disappear from Raw for a while, maybe until Edge comes back, and maybe make his home on NXT. I mean, how great would some of those takeover matches be? What if, what if we got a Randy Orton-Keith Lee match? 
if Randy Orton, I mean, and Keith Lee would be a perfect guy for Randy Orton to start with. Keith, look at you. You do not look like a superstar. And while I have no problem with that, we both know that once you get up to Raw or SmackDown, the same thing that happened to many people that came before you is going to happen to you. You can have all the success in the world in NXT. You're going to get up to that main roster and you're going to be forgotten about. And then, tell me then, will the injuries be worth it? Will forgetting your family be worth it? Keith, you're going to give your life to trying to get to the top and you're never going to get to the top. It's not your fault, Keith. Trust me, I've been there. It's not going to happen for you. I'm going to stop you here. I'm going to stop you at this step and give you back the rest of your life. You don't want to see Randy Orton versus Keith Lee under those circumstances? I do. I do. I want to see Randy Orton versus Keith Lee. I want to see Randy Orton versus uh, Damian Priest. I want to see Randy Orton versus Finn Balor in a WWE ring. What happened to you, Finn? People used to talk about you, Finn. You used to be at WrestleMania, Finn. I didn't even know you were still signed. I didn't even know you were still in the company. You're in NXT? What have you wrestled? Seven times this year? They don't even use you down here. Ugh. And Finn Balor being the prince, this character of Finn Balor, getting to shoot back at, at Randy Orton? Incredible. Incredible. Who knows? Maybe eventually Randy Orton makes his way up to Adam Cole. And I don't think that Randy Orton should smash through the entire NXT roster. I think that this could be an amazing, amazing storyline. It's almost like the Nexus in reverse. But Randy Orton doesn't have a posse with him. I wouldn't be mad if Randy Orton brought Ric Flair with him. But, you know, I think Randy Orton going to NXT and just acting like he's above all this and mocking everybody and then getting put to the test. I think you've got at least two big matches that you could get out of Randy under those circumstances without completely burying everybody. And then after that, if Edge still isn't back, leave Randy Orton down there and start and, and, and continue on with some of these storylines. But I know that if, if Randy Orton were on NXT and he were there as like, you know, let's be honest. Randy Orton were there representing, even though they don't like to say this, the main roster. Randy Orton was there as the face of the perceived Vince McMahon who does not put over the guys that Triple H does in NXT. That's what Randy Orton represents going to NXT. And he shows up there and he goes, man, I used to kill legends because they were there past their prime. You're never even going to get to legend status. You're going to waste your life doing this and you're never going to get to where you want to go. Allow me to stop you. I'm Randy Orton. That, to me, I was thinking about it a lot after you asked me, what do we do with Randy Orton? And, and, and that, to me, shined. I feel like uh, it would be good to give NXT the boost. I think it would be the story boost, not just the, the name boost, but the storyline boost that NXT needed. I think if you do this story well, and there's no reason Randy Orton can do uh, can tell this is the story that Randy Orton can tell. And it's based in real life. Let Randy Orton be that guy. You don't think there's guys on the main roster that are sitting there after a takeover in real life? You don't think that there's guys on Raw and SmackDown that are reading all the fans going crazy over takeovers. Going like, yeah, but that stuff would never work up here. Yeah, but they, I mean, they don't even realize that. Like, you can do that show once every three months, but you couldn't do that every night. You don't think that those conversations are happening. You don't think there's real life. You don't think there's real life to be told in a story about Randy Orton going down to NXT and putting guys out of their misery because they're never going to make it on the main roster? Randy Orton going down to NXT to prove that it is still the main roster. It's not just three equal brands. Ugh. And Randy Orton is the perfect guy to do it. Perfect guy to do it. Because he's hateable. He can be hateable when he wants to be. He's got all the credibility in the world. And here's the most dangerous part of Randy Orton. 
He's an excellent professional wrestler, which means he can go in the ring with any of those NXT guys, no matter where they're from, no matter how good they are, and have amazing matches. Adam Cole versus Randy Orton, Keith Lee versus Randy Orton, Karrion Cross versus Randy Orton, Tommaso Ciampa versus Randy Orton, Johnny Gargano versus Randy Orton, Damian Priest versus Randy Orton. All amazing matches. Triple H can come out. Who do you think you are coming onto my product? Randy Orton coming out. Hunter, you've missed a step. You left. You came down to Florida. You left Connecticut. And you missed a step. Come on. Bring up all the NXT failures. Everybody that didn't pan out on the main roster. Finn Balor versus Randy Orton, I said. That's what I would do, man. That's exactly what I would do with Randy Orton. Put him on NXT and have him be the spoiler. You know, uh, NXT, they're doing Great American Bash, which I'm excited about, putting Great American Bash. I mean, we're going to have a... Wednesday this week is going to be outrageous. The next two Wednesdays are going to be outrageous. But Great American Bash, too big for just one night, is uh, is starting on Wednesday. And so far, we've got... Uh, Fatal 4-Way for the number one contendership of the NXT Women's Championship. I'm assuming that Io Shirai will face the winner of this match next week on night two of Great American Bash. I can't be sure, but I would imagine that that would make sense to me. It's Mia Yim versus Tegan Knox versus Candice LeRae versus Dakota Kai. Um, you know, I think the fact that... I think the fact that Io Shirai appears to be a good guy now and that... Candice LeRae being coupled with Johnny Gargano, you know, I don't know that having her in a championship match adds anything for Candice. I feel like she's already top of the heap because Johnny Gargano is top of the heap and they're an act together. And that act is the Garganos is such a good act right now. So I would give this to Dakota Kai. I think that Dakota Kai, I think that Mia Yim is pretty cemented right now. I think people love Mia Yim. Uh, you know, I, anybody that knows anything about, especially East Coast independent wrestling, but independent wrestling in general knows that Mia Yim has put in the time. She's been around forever. She's finally made it to NXT, and she shined in these matches. People, The Mia Yim character is relevant and fresh and different, and her matches don't disappoint, you know. So I, I think that, that Mia Yim is in a real good spot. I think Tegan Knox ends up getting talked about in a super positive light every time... She steps away from a match. I think people know that Tegan Knox has a bright, bright future ahead of her. I said what I needed to say about Candice LeRae. I feel like Dakota Kai is the one in this match that people that that needs the boost. I think that as far as this match goes, Dakota Kai is the one that you go prove to me that she's a main eventer. If I told you the next takeover was Mia Yim versus EO, you'd believe it. Tegan Knox versus EO. Maybe, but probably, you know, it wouldn't take, it's not that much of a reach. And Candice LeRae versus EO, they could do today. Dakota Kai versus EO, I think that's what we need to establish. And I think that's what we need to establish in this Fatal 4-Way. And you could use interference from uh, uh, from Dakota Kai's heavy. They just announced uh, on Sunday, uh, it's going to be Timothy Thatcher versus Oni Lorcan Uh at the Great American Bash. And I'll tell you something. Whoever is in charge of Timothy Thatcher and the way he's portrayed on television, they know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. Because to me, a superstar asked me, I'm not going to say who it was, but they asked me, I mean, at this point, it was probably three years, no, it was probably four years ago. They said, who do you think WWE should look at that's not signed? The, aside from the obvious ones. And I was like, man, I went to a PWG show not long ago. Timothy Thatcher, and I'll tell you why, man. I think Timothy Thatcher, he when I saw him, it was like he was doing something different. And he was doing something so believable. So believable. There's an authenticity to Timothy Thatcher that it makes it so he can do this thing that is different from what everybody else is doing. And still come across like, man, this guy's the real deal. This guy, this guy, this is for real. I know it's wrestling, it's wrestling, but that's for real. This guy could really hurt you. 
this is a guy who can live the character that he's portraying. Um, and the only hiccup is that the style of wrestling that Timothy Thatcher wrestles requires a specific type of opponent. You know, like, I don't know what Timothy Thatcher versus Mojo Raleigh looks like. No offense to Mojo Raleigh. You know, that could that's a pro or a con for either one of them. But, you know, I don't know that that's good for anybody. However, I do know that getting immediately to... That, that so far, we've seen Timothy Thatcher matched up with the Imperium guys, matched up with Matt Riddle, and now matched up with Oni Lorcan. These are guys that can grapple with him. These are guys that not only can create an offense and respond to Timothy Thatcher's offense with a believable defense. If you're not familiar with grappling and a grappler comes at you, you know, you can't just stomp on the mat and hit him. Like you got to, got you, you have to look like you know how to grapple with this guy. So the idea that they're putting him in there with guys that know how to wrestle in that style, I think is brilliant. I love Oni Lorcan as an opponent for Thatcher. Um, you know, as far as the vignettes that Thatcher has been doing, I wish, and I think that they're inspired by the, if they're not, they should be. Because they remind me of like Stu Hart and the way the way he talks about putting holes on people. But we don't see his students. It's done in a way where he goes, next week I'm going to do this. And you're like, so his classes only meet for two and a half minutes once a week? That really seems like it fits perfectly into television. I I think it should look a lot more like a like a like find a place that, that looks more like a dungeon, like a Stu Hart type dungeon. Find a place that looks like a basement. Find a place that looks like a barn. Find a place that looks like something where it looks like an old school wrestling school. You know, where it looks like where Vern Gagne would teach in Minnesota, which is a ring in a barn or something like that. And then watch Timothy Thatcher putting these stretching kids. Like, I want to see, I want to see the people that are in his class and I want to see Timothy Thatcher stretching them. You know, I, I, I think, I think it should look like a, like a combination of like a wrestling school, like we saw in Foxcatcher and a wrestling school, like we've seen from Vern Gagne and in the wrestling with shadows, Stu Hart stuff. When you got those young guys like that are kind of cocky, and then Stu Hart's just like, well, you just uh, you pull the arm there, and they start start going, ah, ah, ah. and they tell the stories of like Brett and his brothers going to the vents so they can hear the people screaming from downstairs. I wish that there was more of that vibe from the uh, from the uh, 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 Timothy Thatcher stuff. Like the type of thing where it's like, look, I, he is teaching people, but I think he's getting some kind of sick pain, sick joy out of the pain. I think he's enjoying inflicting this amount of pain. He could have released the hole there and he didn't. Like Timothy Thatcher, if he's going to, Thatch's Thatch can wrestling should be like an old school wrestling school where you would beat up guys in order to protect the business, where you wouldn't actually teach them until they took several beatings so that you knew they would keep their mouth shuts about the secrets. And you don't obviously say all that. But, you know, the idea that he is kicking people's asses in this school. And then, you know, if you do it right, if you did Thatcher's Thatch Can right, you could actually start establishing younger talent under Thatcher. Like, you keep doing these vignettes, you're watching Thatcher stretch people, you're seeing, like, you know, the, the, you use, like, a red contact, so it's like the... You, you see like a jobber on NXT and he's got like his, his eye is all blood red because a vein has popped in it because Thatcher had some hold on him. He's, you know, he's training under Thatcher. And eventually you could have a graduate from Thatcher school come forward. Eventually you could find a young guy that maybe we don't know, or maybe we do, who is, you know, quote unquote, gone through Thatcher's program. And Thatcher starts building his own version of submission experts, a lot like an American version of Imperium. You know, it wouldn't be exactly like Imperium, but it wouldn't be that dissimilar either. It would be like, it, it would be Thatcher's wrestling team. And they would all wrestle in matching singlets, not, you know, shorty G basketball shorts. You know, Thatcher would still wrestle in his trunks, but you'd have singlets with a big T on them. And that's what you would wrestle in. It would be, it would be, again, like a, like a, like a, like a, 
kind of like Team Angle, except with less established guys. Like Team Angle, except with guys that are just completely blindly following Thatcher, almost like a cult, like a wrestling cult, you know, without actually occult symmetry, uh, uh, symbolism. But I like it. And then the big match that was announced for Great American Bash is Sasha Banks versus Io Shirai. Now, I am elated about this match. And I was even more excited to learn of how many more people were elated about this match than I realized. This set the internet on fire over the weekend when they announced this match. People could not believe it. I, I'm going to tell you, I have not seen the amount of excitement for Sasha Banks and Bailey in the last several weeks. It might be the most since they first came from NXT. I mean, the the renaissance that Sasha Banks and Bailey are having. You, Sasha Banks and Bailey are two of the biggest stars on WWE TV right now. No doubt about it. And their segments are money. Whether you love the promos or you don't, the Sasha Banks and Bailey segments are always money. I mean, look, if you're just going by ratings, and we usually don't talk about the ratings much. I mean, we do when it when it matters, but like I'm not a ratings expert, but I know that the ratings for Sasha Banks and Bailey versus Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox were very, very good. And that's not something that happened uh, with the stuff that Charlotte was doing necessarily. And I think that has a lot to do with storylines. I think that has a that has something to do with Tegan Knox and Shotzi Blackheart for sure. Has to do with the women's tag titles. But I'm telling you, man, the promo on Raw last week where Sasha Banks was like, I'm jealous of your title. And I was like, is it, are they really splitting up this act now? After all this time, they're finally on a hot streak with this act. If they split it up now, it would be a horrendous mistake. And they didn't. The, the swerve when Sasha Banks goes, and that's why I want to match with Asuka. I was like, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. And you could realistically see Sasha Banks, Raw Women's Champion, Bailey SmackDown Women's Champion, and them having the tag titles. I could see a scenario where all four titles are in that camp. I think Sasha Banks and Bailey are putting on some of the most consistently good television uh, on the roster right now. I love that pairing. And, I mean, they're really good heels. They put on good matches. I'm interested in the women's tag division. And, and and that's something that I haven't been. The women's tag division has been forgotten about. There was a second when the Kabuki Warriors had it, but realistically, and this is no fault, by the way, of Alexa Bliss and uh, uh, Nikki Cross, because I think Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross are a great team, and I think I really like their segments. I think Moment of Bliss, generally speaking, with those two is really good. But they didn't wrestle as a team very much, and they didn't have a lot of opponents. I think in this world where you've got, you've actually got Sasha Banks and Bailey traveling from show to show, which is exactly what the tag team champions should be doing. I know you're sitting there saying, well, what show are they on? They're supposed to be SmackDown. They're supposed to be, it doesn't matter. They're the women's tag champions. The women's tag champions can float from show to show. I guess even in the case of a singles match. But if you're sitting here complaining about brand rules when you're being presented with Sasha Banks versus Io Shirai, you're an idiot. And, and, and you look, I think on Wednesday night, you're going to see a lot of televisions tuned in to see Io Shirai versus Sasha Banks. I think it's going to be match of the night on Wednesday, 100%. And uh, I think it's amazing what Bailey and Sasha Banks are doing right now. You know, I mean, if they keep up like this, whoever turns on whoever, if they time it right, and the storyline stays good, it could have Sean Marty implications. I mean, that's how good Sasha Banks and Bailey are right now. And I don't want to see Bailey lose the title. I I figure I want to see Sasha Banks beat Asuka. I want to see it happen. I want to see Sasha Banks beat Asuka at Extreme Rules Horror Show. I want to see. Asuka lose the title. I know you're sitting there going like she just got it handed to her. She didn't even really beat Nia Jax. I understand. I don't want Asuka to get buried either. 
I want the best for Asuka. Asuka is my favorite. But when you look at what's good for what's going on right now, Bailey and Sasha Banks having all the titles is best for business. Keeping Bailey and Sasha Banks on every WWE show right now is a good thing. They're great. So, I mean, you know, the women's division in WWE, when done right, is phenomenal. I don't know where Naomi is because I feel like Naomi versus Bailey would like be rivalry of the century. I mean, I think Naomi is so good. I don't know why she's not there to to compete against Bailey. Um but I think, you know, when you got Bailey, Sasha, Asuka, Naomi, Lacey coming up, Natalia's role right now is great. You know, I I love I love Natalia leaning more towards being a heel and trying to take more credit than she's earned. You know, I, I, I think that the the tease of putting the Riot Squad back together with Ruby and Liv is the right move because those two seem lost right now. I just think it's really good. But while we're on this topic, while we're on the topic of women, uh, I think it's been, I think it's been really interesting lately because Charlotte has been getting a lot of blowback. There is a Charlotte fatigue that is set in. And I don't know if it's because she's been at that same position on the card for as long as she's been on. I don't know if it's because people were not happy with the way the Rhea Ripley Charlotte storyline played itself out. Um, You know, I don't know what it is. I know a lot of people were annoyed that Charlotte just kind of came off of losing the NXT championship and within two weeks has a Raw Women's Championship match because they're like, oh my God, Charlotte again? But I've been thinking about it a lot. And, you know, I was listening to other podcasts talking about how it's like, okay, enough with Charlotte. I don't... But I am here to say, yes, Charlotte again. You know, if there's anything that we've learned in pro wrestling... It's that hindsight is twenty twenty, and that we look at things differently after they've happened than while they're happening. And so some of what I try to do when I'm really thinking about stuff, obviously in the moment you can't do this, but when I'm really thinking about stuff is I very quickly try to take myself out of it, try to not be present with it, and look at it from as far away as humanly possible, and look at it in the context of everything else that's going on right now and everything else that's gone on in the career of this person. We are witnessing, this is not hyperbole. This is not potential. This is not my opinion. This is not, this is something that is going to be written in the books and it's already happened. We, I feel like as a fan base, should be more grateful about the fact that we are witnessing the greatest women's wrestler of all time in Charlotte, bar none. It's 100%. And by far, Charlotte is the greatest women's wrestler in the history of WWE. She's the greatest women's wrestler in the world. And of all time. I mean, Charlotte, and I get it. Look, the WWE has certainly uh, taken advantage of the fact, in my opinion, that they have the greatest women's wrestler of all time right now in the sense that Charlotte Charlotte shouldn't be a 12-time champion or however many times she's held a title because she shouldn't have lost as many times as she's lost. But the reason that Charlotte ends up in the position that she's in time and time again is not because her last name is Flair. It's not because she has the right look. It's because Charlotte is the most dependable performer maybe on the entire WWE roster. Certainly of the women. Charlotte never fails, never has failed. I don't know if she ever will fail. Charlotte has taken every setback and somehow managed to still land on top. Charlotte has sat there and lost the title 12 times and still is able to go out on television and have people consider her a main event personality. Whether you like Charlotte or you don't like Charlotte, 
When she comes out and she's wearing the robe and the music is playing and she's staring at that ring with, with those eyes, that look of determination, that look of self-assuredness, you're not sitting there saying, she loses all the time. She's going to lose this match too. You're sitting there going, I think Charlotte's going to win again. Whether you're happy about it or not, that's what you're thinking. You don't go into a Charlotte match. That's why people were upset on Raw. You don't go into any Charlotte match knowing that she's going to lose. She might lose. Maybe you even think she should lose. But there's always the possibility that she'll win. And I don't think that that's just because of, because of you know, Roman Reigns, quote-unquote, type booking. That's what people are comparing her to. Roman Reigns. How, you know... It was clear that regardless of crowd reaction, regardless of anything else, the company decided Roman Reigns was the guy. They're pushing him forward. People say that about Charlotte now, and it is absurd, and it is not true. Roman Reigns is great. Roman Reigns is excellent. Roman Reigns has a hell of a set of tools. Roman Reigns is not the greatest of all time. He's not the greatest male performer of all time. Charlotte's the greatest female performer of all time. Charlotte is not Roman Reigns. I don't even think Charlotte is John Cena. I mean, I think Charlotte is Austin. I think Charlotte is Hogan. And not past his prime Hogan. Not WrestleMania 9 Hogan. I think Charlotte is WrestleMania 5 Hogan. I mean, I, I, I think we're sitting here witnessing something that we've never seen before and we may never see again. Nobody has been able to survive what Charlotte has been able to survive. All those title losses that we just mentioned, survive them. The rise of Becky Lynch. Charlotte should not have been able to survive the rise of Becky Lynch. Charlotte should have been forgotten in the rise of Becky Lynch. And if she wasn't so good, she would have been forgotten in the rise of Becky Lynch. Because the rise of Becky Lynch came at Charlotte's expense. Charlotte wasn't just another performer. Charlotte was supposed to be the performer and Becky Lynch usurped her. That wasn't the plan. Becky Lynch turned heel. Becky Lynch turned on Charlotte and the fans decided to side with Becky Lynch because they were waiting for Becky Lynch to do that because they wanted to cheer for Becky Lynch. And good on you. Charlotte, Becky Lynch is maybe the most over female superstar of all time. But that doesn't make her the greatest female superstar of all time. I mean, you know, you don't want to say Charlotte Flair is the Ric Flair of women because, you know, that seems like you're just relying on the name. But the case could be made, you know. There's no doubt that, that, that Becky became this giant star. And she became this giant star at the expense of Charlotte because... Charlotte was supposed to be the person, and it was exposed. It was exposed that the company wanted Charlotte and the fans wanted Becky. But Charlotte made you believe in her as a bad guy. Charlotte survived as all this was happening. And not only did she survive, but she was able to walk in to that WrestleMania triple threat match. She's in the ring, right? It's Ronda Rousey one of the most famous female athletes of all time. It's Becky Lynch, the most over female WWE superstar, certainly at that point and maybe ever. And then Charlotte gets added to the mix. But when Charlotte walks down that aisle, when Charlotte gets out of that helicopter and she walks down that aisle and the fireworks are blasting and you see the look on her face, you might be booing her, but you're not thinking she shouldn't be here. And at the end of the day, Charlotte, that should have been an outsider in that match. Everybody wanted to see Becky Lynch versus Ronda Rousey. True. Charlotte should have been an outsider in that match. But in all honesty, she was the glue that held it together. Charlotte being a part of that story amplified that story. And that wouldn't have happened with any other athlete besides Charlotte. Charlotte's matches don't disappoint. Charlotte's promos do not disappoint. And Charlotte's facial expressions are among the best ever. You believe Charlotte is a good guy? You believe Charlotte is a bad guy? 
she's been put in countless, countless, countless situations. And she's succeeded in every single one of them. Look, we all pretend it didn't happen, but there was a period of time where people were kind of over Stone Cold. It was through a series of, of creative decisions that were not right. It was him turning heel at WrestleMania uh, 17 and then joining the Alliance in that whole period of time. It was like, okay, like Stone Cold just wasn't Stone Cold. When he turned on the Alliance, when Austin, I think it was Austin turning on the Alliance. When he had that surprise moment, that's when Austin came back and we all got back on his side. And there's a thing with Austin now where we don't pay attention to those little moments. Like we can all admit that Austin shouldn't have turned heel at WrestleMania 17. That was a moment. But that even the match itself, you still go, that to me, that was the best Austin Rock match. I'm going to ignore the ending. I'm going to ignore the fact that the thing that happened shouldn't have happened. I'm going to maintain, you know, when you think about the Austin McMahon rivalry, you don't think about it as complete. You still think about them as rivals because you don't want to believe the thing that happened at WrestleMania 17. We just forget it. We don't really talk about old stuff. It's like uh, the Fiend losing to... It's like in some... When the Fiend lost, the we don't talk about that stuff. We pay attention to the good stuff. It's the way memories work. We look back on Austin's career now and we remember him how we should remember him as the greatest to ever do that. Let's talk about The Undertaker. Maybe Charlotte's The Undertaker. For Maybe Charlotte is the female version of The Undertaker. Maybe that's the best comparison to make. Because, yeah, I think it is the best comparison to make. Charlotte is, 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 is the female equivalent to The Undertaker, maybe. Certainly more so than anybody else. Because you look at The Undertaker, and there were certainly periods of time in his career, whether people admit it or not, there were periods of time in The Undertaker's career where people were over The Undertaker. The end of that American Badass run, people were over him. There was that middle ground before the Sean-Taker match. People were over him. The reason he turned into The American Badass was because people were starting to get over him. But we don't think about that stuff. We think about the good stuff. We think about the impact that he made because when we weren't over him, man, was he over when we weren't over him, he was doing some of the most memorable stuff ever. And he was dependable. Even when it was bad, it was The Undertaker. It really wasn't that bad. And he was always able to recover from it. A lot of people, when when fans start to kind of go like, okay, we've seen it, they kind of go away along with that support. They drift off into the wind. The greats are able to recover because they're consistent. Because they're able to to bounce back and give, read the crowd and give them what they want and put on a performance that they're like, you know what? I would like to watch another one of those. That's the whole key to doing this. I would like to watch this performance and I would like to see another one. That's the whole key. And The Undertaker was always able to do that. And Charlotte is always able to do that. Now, we are at a period of time right now that we won't even really talk about when we reflect on Charlotte Flair. This, she's, and, and, and the Roman Reigns story will be different. The John Cena story is different. The Roman Reigns story will be different too. John Cena was an anomaly in the sense that had John Cena existed in any other era, he would have turned heel halfway through his run and then he would have become a good guy again. He would have had a very Hogan-esque type of run. But because of the timing and, and, and the position that he was in, he never, it never happened. Same with Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns was a little more of that model, except I, I think more so than John Cena. I think there that that the, there was more disdain towards Roman. Um, Charlotte is a different story. We're not going to look back on Charlotte and think about that at all. We're going to look back on Charlotte and not even remember if you're one of the people that said. Oh, there's a fatigue setting in with Charlotte. You're not going to remember the fatigue. You're going to remember the fact that, yep, I knew even back then she was one of the greatest of all time. No, you you were fatigued. You were promoting this idea of a fatigue. People don't... Charlotte's so good that she walks into this title match and people aren't like, 
Oh, she's a loser. They're like, oh, I'm worried because I she ends up winning a lot. You know, we talk about characters that are affected by losses. Charlotte's not. Because she's so good. You know? I just think that 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 we need to spend a lot more time going like, okay, we're figuring out what to do with Charlotte right now. I mean, the fact is that the only reason that Charlotte isn't champion is because it's not believable that anybody would beat her. You can't just have Charlotte be champion forever. But let's be honest, Charlotte is at the top of the ladder 100% of the time, and it's not because she was put there. It's because she's the greatest women's wrestler of all time. And we're witnessing it. And sometimes it's difficult to understand when you're witnessing something. But I think it's incumbent upon us to acknowledge that we are witnessing that and pay homage. That's what I think. That's what I think. And Charlotte is going to be off TV for a little while. And I think that that's smart. I think that that's the right move. And I think that when Charlotte comes back, it's going to be like, Business is picking up. It's going to be a business is picking up moment when Charlotte returns to television because we will all know that an athlete that is playing on a certain level has returned and everybody's in a lot of trouble. You can take that to the bank. That's how I feel about Charlotte Flair. I appreciate all of you. Don't forget to check out patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. You can check out notsamshirts.com for all the... uh, Pro Wrestling Tees goodness. Um, And uh, we'll see you on Thursday if you're a Patreon member and next Monday for another episode of Not Sam Wrestling. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been... Not Sam Wrestling. For the ones standing guard. For the eagle-eyed. For the knights in shining armor. And for all those who support them. We are Granger, your experienced safety partner. Offering supplies and solutions for every industry. Committed to helping keep your facilities safe. And your people safer. Call, click slash safety or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.